absent without leave. Can you imagine what that must sound like in the ears of an individual who has chosen to move away from their responsibility in the military to do their own bidding, to do their own choices, then to be captured and brought back to stand before a military tribunal, to be found guilty of absent without leave. Those who are in the military understand or have been in the military understand that particular concept I think better than those of us who have not been in the military. What I mean to say by that is we look at it and we say, well, the media gets all in a frenzy about it and some of the people in the upper echelons of the military get all in a a big deal about it. But so what? It doesn't really make all that much difference. Why do we have to be so tough, so harsh? Little do we realize that uh, God also has an absent without leave label that he can place upon us when we do not do what it is that he's called us to do, when we determine that it is simply a matter of our choice to do whatever we wish to do. Open your Bibles if you haven't done so already to the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. Or you can follow along on the screen. We're going to reread the same verses as we read last week, and we're going to talk about those verses specifically this morning. Here's what we read, Jonah 1 and verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray together before we look into these verses. God, our Father, would you guide us in the time that is mine, that is ours, to look at these verses. May we make strong application as we learn principles that you want us to apply in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God has called his servants to do certain things. And that call is incumbent upon us to be fulfilled in our lives as soon as we can fulfill it. We're going to discover as we look at Jonah that God called Jonah. Do you see the words that are used at the very first of the first word of the first verse? Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. We say that's a good way to get it started. We understand, but it's no big deal. Let's just kind of get over that, Don, because that's unimportant. Let me say to you that it is relatively very important. Because this expression, the word of the Lord, is used over and over again in the Old Testament. And where it is used, it is used in a formulaic way to give God's command. The thing that is unfortunate for many of us today is we believe that somehow uh, God gives us options. You can do this, or you can do this, or you can do this. And all of these things are acceptable. Now, I realize that there are some options in our lives, but when it comes to the word of the Lord, it never has to do with options. 
God is calling us to do something specific. And what God is saying to Jonah is something that is important. It is directed particularly to him, and it is not for another. The call of God that is given to him is a call that is going to be really the most important thing this man does in his life. Now, we talked briefly about Jonah last week, but let me give you just a couple of thoughts again to help us get the context of this. This direct command was given to Jonah, who was a prophet of God, who was a prophet during the time of Elisha. Some have suggested that he was a disciple of Elisha, that his prophecy to the nation of Israel was just before that of Amos, and of Hosea, lesser-known minor prophets, and Isaiah, who is well-known to us. The name Jonah is an interesting name. It means a dove. What you know about a dove is that a dove is a very gentle bird. Generally speaking, when families in the Old Testament times, sometimes today it's true as well, gave the name of a bird or the name of a beast to their child, the idea was that they were hoping that their child would somehow demonstrate the good qualities of the particular beast or bird. And so in this case, uh, when Amittai gave to Jonah the name Jonah, a dove, I'm sure that he was desirous to see this young man grow up to be a gentle person, with a gentle spirit as far as life was concerned. This dove could easily be disturbed. Turmoil would drive it away. Now, another thing that was true in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the dove symbolizes both peace and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jonah is an individual that is intended to be a peaceful individual, is intended to be one who demonstrates the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life and in his ministry. Uh, Jonah wasn't to be an angry person. And yet you know the story of Jonah, and you know that as soon as we get past this section, we're going to get into the fact that Jonah demonstrates his anger in ever-increasing ways. If ever there was an individual who did not actually represent what his name meant, Jonah would certainly be that individual. Now, we've already seen in the drama, we've already seen in the text that God's servant, Jonah, was the son of Amittai. Now, the name Amittai means truth or my true one. We learn elsewhere in Kings in the Old Testament that Jonah was from a city called Gath-Heper. Now, that's not on everybody's radar. Uh, In fact, you go looking at most of the maps in the back of your Bible, you're not going to find Gath-Heper at all. You can find the area, but it isn't identified for you. It's actually located in what today is known as the Galilee, not far from the city of Nazareth. Jewish legend tells us something else, and if Jewish legend is correct, then there are some things that we learn about Jonah that would be important for us to take note of right now. Jewish legend tells us that Jonah was the son of the widow of Zarephath. Now you remember that she had a son after many years, that this son was her joy, and this son died. 
Elijah came and Elijah prayed over this son and Elijah raised him from the dead. Now, if this, if this is a true legend, and we don't know, then no doubt this was a, an, a marking event in the life of Jonah. His mother would tell him over and over again, you realize that you were very special. God gave you to us really an answer through a miracle. You need to realize that when you were a little boy, you died. You need to realize that God's servant, Elijah, came and raised you from the dead. Jonah, you're extra special. Well, he was extra special certainly to his parents. But I've got to tell you something about Jonah. As a prophet of God, he is not one of the best-known prophets. Now, we know him because we have this story in the Bible. We know it because this, t- this story is told so often in Sunday school. But the reality is, Jonah was a very ordinary person who had a call from God. He had more than one call from God, but he had a call from God to be a prophet. He had a call from God to preach truth to the nation of Israel. The period of time in which he's serving in Israel, they're paying no attention to God. They want nothing to do with God. They want to go their own direction. They had had the blessings of God from the foundation of their nation. They were quick to tell everybody, we are a nation that God has blessed. But they are turning their backs on God, and God has called Jonah to preach to them. Now the text doesn't tell us this, but it seems to me as I look at this text, as I ponder this text, that what is happening with this young man, Jonah, who is a prophet in Israel declaring to them that they need to turn back to God, that he has become a bit uh, bored with it all. Uh, That he feels that it is ineffective to be preaching to the nation because they're not listening. I can imagine. Now, this is not in the Bible. But I can imagine uh, come Thursday evening, he is sitting there in his living room watching the Cardinals lose to the Cubs. (laughs) And he's saying to himself, maybe I'd better get busy and get my sermon ready for Sabbath, for Saturday. I hadn't started. I really don't want to do this. When I got it all prepared, they're not going to pay any attention. They're just going to sit there and deliver their responsibility, go through their duty, and they're going to hear me, and then they're going to get up and they're going to leave, and nothing's going to be any different than it was before. I can imagine that this is what's been going on with Jonah for some period of time. Now God comes onto the scene and says to him, Jonah, Jonah, I have a job for you to do. Oh, good. Finally, I'm going to get a good job. Finally, I'm going to be able to do something different. It's like uh, many pastors on Monday morning after they preached their hearts out and nothing's happened. And they say, there's no sense of me being here. I'd like to go someplace else. And boy, they are listening so hard for God to talk to them on Monday. They're certain he's going to tell them. You can get that resignation out of your coat pocket and you can hand it into the deacons and tell them, I'm out of here. I got a better place to go. And God says to him, Jonah, listen up. Got a call for you. Got something for you to do. Yay, I'm going to get something important because God's talking to me directly. 
I haven't had this experience in quite a while. But can I say to you, we can say, oh, that's good for the pastors, that's good for the preachers, that's good for the prophets, that's good for Jonah, but where am I in this whole thing? Well, what did I just tell you about Jonah? Jonah is really a nobody. He's got no real big reputation. Got no real big claim to fame. But God is calling him. I remember 15 years ago when I left here and went up to where I pastored for the next 14 years, I, uh, I used to say on occasion to our congregation, you know, there are no superstars in this church. And they kind of sat and looked at me. Oh, where's this going? And I said, no, God doesn't have any superstars in this church. We're not extra special people. What makes us extra special is that we have God's call to salvation in our lives. I remember one or two of them got a little bit offended because they had determined that they were superstars. God needed them. I want to say to you, God typically uses nobodies to do his work. Nobodies that are obedient to him. Nobodies that walk with him. Now, listen, listen. There are a few that we would say as we are studying the Bible, they look to me like a superstar. Now, maybe that's because they were available to God and consistently available to God and God used them in a significant way. But the majority of people who were used were not superstars. When God intended for the incarnation to take place, when he chose a human vessel to be actually involved in it, he chose a Jewish maiden, not a superstar. Hmm. You may not have come from an unusual place, an exotic place. You may not have had or have an exotic name. But friend, if God has called you to himself in salvation, God has called you. The problem that I think we have today is we have become so thankful that God called us to salvation that we have failed to listen to hear whether or not he's going to call us in yet another way. And he will, and he will, and he will. Because God didn't call us to just sit around. God called us to take action, to be busy. And so that brings me to the second thing that I want you to see in verse number 2. God has a job he gives to his servants. And what I want to say to you is this. We want it to be a big job. Hmm. Yeah, I, I want to be the pastor of a church on Madison Avenue in New York City. If you've ever been to New York, I think you probably would join me in saying you'd never want to really be in charge of a ministry in the city of New York. It is so monumental to do anything. I mean, you look at some of those high-rises that have more people living in them than live in the city of Pekin. And that's just one. And there are ten right there. You say, my goodness, how would you ever minister in that? You can't get inside? But what I do want to say to you is this. When God calls you, the tasks that he gives you We'll do several things. Number one, 
For Jonah, this call was to a different place. Look in verse 2, he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. So let's talk a little bit about the city of Nineveh. Because this is going to be the location to which Jonah is going to go. It's located in the eastern part of the Middle East. It was located on the banks of the Tigris River, about 550 miles northeast of Jerusalem. So already it becomes a daunting task because Jonah could not uh, go down from Gath-Heper to Joppa to the international airport there and say, I, I want to get a ticket to go fly in to Nineveh. At best, he might have been able to get a camel ride. But typically what was going to happen to him and did happen to him was he had to walk there. Imagine it now. You're called, now I know it isn't quite this far in the directions that I'm going to give you, but you're called to, be, uh, you're called to go to uh, a big city, St. Louis, to deliver a message. And you've got to walk there. But you don't have any interstate highways. You don't have any airports. You just got to walk there. Or try Chicago. That would be even better. Hmm. Nineveh. Located 220 miles north of modern-day Baghdad. Now, some of you know where Baghdad is, but if you go looking for Nineveh, you're going to have a hard time finding it unless you use the modern-day name. The The town is called, have you ever heard of it? Mosul. Oh, yeah, we've heard of it. Very significant area up there in that particular part of Iraq. Nineveh was the primary city of the Assyrian Empire, and in fact, for a period of time, it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It was uh, the largest city in the empire, and Nineveh is the place to which Jonah is asked to go. It's a different place. In the text, we discover that it is called a great city. Now, here's a little task I'd like you to take on for yourself. I would like you to read the entire book of Jonah through, and each time you find the word great, G-R-E-A-T, great, I'd like you to mark it in some way so that you can see it. And then I want you to just flip through the pages after you're done and see how many times the word appears. It actually appears 14 times in the book of Jonah. That means it's a pretty important word. Eight times the word great is used to mean large. So God says to Jonah, I want you to go to a large city. No, Lord, I'm from Gath-Heper. There are only a few hundred people that live here. I'd sooner go to a city the size of Gath-Heper. Six times in the book, it means important. And God says to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to an important city. Now, I want you to listen carefully to me because some of us in this place have a call, not necessarily a permanent call, but we have a call to go to some place. It's different. But we need to look at it in terms of how God sees it. We need to look at it as a great place. Some of you do it on business all the time. Two people this week told me that they were in Milwaukee this last week. I'm sorry for you. But you were in Milwaukee. One, one said to me, I figured out that's quite a trip that you have to take. That must tire you out. 
So that I had to go up there for my job. And I, here was my answer. I said to him, brother, you need to realize that if I had to come down here for my job, it would make me very tired. But when I get to come down here and preach, man, this is fun. This is icing on the cake. This is, this is really wonderful. So I don't get tired. That happens after when we're going home. But Jonah is being told, I want you to go. I want you to go to this great city. In seminary today, they teach the young people who are being trained for ministry in this way. Unfortunately, they put more emphasis on this syllable than they do on emphasis on the syllable that teaches the Word of God. Okay, So here's what happens. Young people, you need to realize if you're going out to be a pastor today, you need to go to an area that is growing rapidly. Hundreds of new homes being built. People moving in from all over. When you go to a church that's been established for quite a long time, in a part of town that doesn't have anything being built in it much, and to a church that is over 50 years old, I know that you're more than three times that old as a church, that's not where you need to go. The the, the potential's not there. You need to always go to a place where there's potential. That's one of the things that makes a search committee's job so difficult. Just so that you know. Where's Pekin? I know it's an exotic place where everybody all over the world is trying to come to. In fact, rumor has it that they're going to build a big international airport here to make it easier for people to get here. No, that isn't the way it works. Well, you know, if it's an established church... They don't have much vision. Hmm. Okay, let's get off that. That was a sidetrack just to help you a little bit in understanding. When you're praying for your search committee, realize those are some of the obstacles that they are facing. Jonah's given this wonderful opportunity to go to a place called Nineveh, a great big city, one of the largest cities in his world at that time. Who wouldn't want to go there? Well, Jonah didn't want to. Honestly, I'm thankful God didn't call me to go there for a number of good reasons. Because you see, not only does God call his servant to go to a different place, but in the text we discover that God calls him to a difficult task. Because what he says to him, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So, Jonah realizes he isn't going to go to Nineveh and buy the Houston Rockets old stadium and stand up and preach health and wealth every weekend to 60,000 people. Uh, You're going to have to go home and do a little research on that. Don't waste your time. 
Jonah's being told, you're not going to preach about all kinds of things that are going to make them laugh and feel good and happy and all that kind of stuff. You are to preach that God is going to bring judgment on this city. Thank God I'm not called. But you are. Just like he is or was. And when you get there, you're going to speak out against the evil that is going on. Now, we say, well, if you're going to win friends and influence people, you need to go to Dale Carnegie's school first, and then you need to go to Nineveh. But I'm going to tell you, there's never been a greater, if you will, evangelistic crusade held at any time in the history of the world than ends up happening in Nineveh. And what did he do? He declared a message of judgment because of the evil. Listen up. Until people realize that what they are doing is evil in the sight of God, they will never be brought to the place where they are prepared to repent on their knees before God and get right with God. This is a message for America. Difficult task? Listen to this. Nineveh was well known for its brutal atrocities. Here's one of the things they did. All of the people who were coming to visit the city of Nineveh, or all of those who were being brought from other places that were being defeated by the armies that Nineveh sent out, they would face a pyramid that was built out of the heads of the people they had conquered and who had died. Saved the heads and put them in a pyramid. Hmm. They realized that the strength and the future of a nation was in the youth. And so they would bring the youth in front of the entire masses of the people and they'd slaughter them right there. Do you understand why maybe Jonah wasn't quite so excited about going to the city of Nineveh? They'd bring others and they'd cut their throats. Or while they were standing there in place, they would use sharp knives and cut out their insides. Right there in front of everybody. Others they beheaded. Whenever they would go to other countries to take in those they were taking in, they would take flesh hooks with them, which they would insert in the mouth and push through the jaw with a rope or a chain connected to it so that they could drag the people behind them back to the city of Nineveh. They would hang dead corpses on stakes and then they would literally skin the bodies. It was a city that was filled with idolatry. They had temples to the various gods. And Jonah was asked to go to the original stronghold of Isis. Ah, oh, you say, what? They weren't around then. Oh, yes, they were. They didn't go by that name then. But this is the, and by the way, this is where Isis has one of its strongholds. This story is, in the Bible, God has allowed history to catch up now. 
to show us the kind of atrocities happen when there are people who are motivated by the devil to do what they do, to try to cause the others around them to quake in fear. Where Jonah was sent was a dangerous place. I can well imagine that Jonah was thinking, I won't ever survive. I'll only begin to preach my message and this will be over. I'll bet, as he was thinking about preparing the messages, I don't think he had to spend a long time preparing it, but while he was thinking about it, he thought about a thousand wonderful things. Like, uh, God, could I preach... uh, could I preach a sermon entitled Your Best Life Now Instead? Could I preach a, God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to be wise. Maybe God I could I, I could build a cathedral in Nineveh out of glass. And I could preach the power of positive thinking. God said, no, no, uh uh-uh, you're not doing that. But it's dangerous, Lord. I know, you're going to preach judgment. Why? Because that's what's going to bring the repentance. I'm not going to do it. Do you ever feel like God is calling you to a difficult task, to a difficult place? Friend, join the long line of those who have come before who have been in the same place, who have had to choose like Noah, sorry, like Jonah, whether or not they are going to do what God has called them. I remember one time, I was asked to preach at a Sunday school picnic. It's the only time I was ever asked to preach at a Sunday school picnic. After I preached, they didn't want me back again. He wasn't going to preach at a Sunday school picnic. He was going to preach in a battleground. And he was going to preach God's message. Now, the third thing found in verse 3 is this, quickly. God's servant had a choice to obey or to disobey. And when you look at this, we read in verse 3, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. To flee! To run! Isn't that what we so often do? Run. Tarshish. Why there? Well, some have the idea that uh, Tarshish was really Carthage, which it may have been. Others, which is more likely, think that it was in Spain. It was far away. As far as The people were concerned that lived where Jonah lived, and in that whole area, that was as far as you could go. Beyond that, there was nothing. So what he's choosing to do is he's choosing to run away from God. Why? Because they believed that God wasn't there. Isn't it interesting? He didn't want to go where God wasn't, so instead he went to where he thought God wasn't. That's logical. Not. 
And as he is walking along, he goes to Joppa, which is the main seaport at that time for the nation of Israel. And the expression in Hebrew is that he found a ship. But the idea in the Hebrew language is he came on it unexpectedly. He's there and he sees these ships and he says, hey, where are you going, guys? Well, we're going to Tarshish. Tarshish? Guess where I'm going, boys? And he paid the fare. And he got on board. Isn't it an amazing thing that whenever we decide to play this game, and we do, and we do, and we do, the devil sees to it that there is what looks like better than adequate provision to carry us along in the decision that we are making. It's easy to make this decision. I'm going to go to Nineveh, I'm liable to get killed. I'm going to go to Tarshish, beautiful ship right here. I've always wanted to go on a cruise. You're okay as long as it wasn't Royal Caribbean, I guess. Maybe that was the problem. Maybe that was the first cruise ship that Royal Caribbean ever owned. And he gets on. At that moment, he had a choice. Obey God or disobey God. When I was graduating from high school, I had two choices. One was God's will and the other one was mine. My choice was going to be to go to college and become a teacher. I was going to be a phys ed teacher. You're laughing at me now. Please don't laugh at me because one of the reasons I look like I do now is because I actually was involved deeply in athletics and ruined my body doing something that wasn't really as valuable as I thought it was. Or to obey God and go to Bible college. Ultimately, the choice was very easy because I knew that what God wanted was what I really desired. I remembered a time as a 12-year-old when God called me, and I knew that. The choice was made more difficult because the devil provided a wonderful ship. I could go on a cruise. The, the fellow who was the superintendent of the schools where my school was called me in and said, Don, we'd like you to go off to college and become a guidance counselor. We think you've got the wherewithal to do that, and we'll pay your way. Man, my cruise is all set. But do you know what I know? I know that there was, though I didn't experience it, troubled waters. I think the ship I would have got on would have been like that unfortunate ship that just got caught up in that horrendous storm and went to the bottom. My cruise ship would have been the Titanic. 
But some of us are sitting here today and we are excusing ourselves saying, I'm too old or I'm too young or I don't have enough experience or I'm not well enough known, I don't have enough education and on and on and on it goes. And I said to you, God chooses nobodies from nowhere to do the work he does. Not always, but usually. I'll use somebody out of your own congregation as an example, and then I'm going to close. Most of you know who Bernie Dick is. When I knew Bernie Dick the first time, I knew him the way you know him, which is, uh, he was always as he is. But I never thought of Bernie as a person who had any interest whatsoever in going to another place and doing a difficult task. Until one day when Pastor Mark in a missions meeting talks about the fact that they are going down to Haiti on a missions trip. And Bernie told me after I used him as an example in the first service, he came up and he told me, he said, God told me this one's the one. So now here he is, he's in his Jonah moment. Now he's been several times to Haiti and going to Haiti it was a difficult job and it always is a difficult job. I can tell you something about him now. He'd sooner be in Haiti than he would be here. Not because he doesn't love you, not because he doesn't love First Baptist, but because the opportunity to serve God is demonstrated by the results that come when we are obedient. Now, I can't get to the end of the story. I don't want to spoil it. I don't want you to read the last chapter. I know you know the whole thing. But what I'm saying to you is, the critical moment that you are at is the moment where he was when he had to determine, will I obey or not? Disobedience brings a lot of events into your life that make good Hollywood movies, but certainly aren't the kind of things that Christians want to have to tell about their life. Being obedient may bring yet another one of these greatest of evangelistic outcomes, this, the greatest of impacting things that history has ever seen. But I'm not big enough. Oh, but you're Jonah. Which Jonah do you want to be? The first one? The second one? I don't want to be either. I'd like to be the third one that God wanted right from the beginning. And you can be. You say, but that's not what I'm supposed to do. I'm a mechanic. I'm an electrician. I, I work in the cafeteria at the high school. I, I'm a nurse. Ah, but friend, God says you can be someone who makes a difference. That's what I'm going to pray for during this whole series. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, Everyone who's in this audience this morning is thinking a little bit about it. Some of them are wondering, I wonder, could I be that kind of person? Not Jonah who has to go for a swim in the ocean. That would be fun if we could go to Hilton Head or someplace like that and just choose to go for a swim rather than going to Hilton Head and going for a swim and getting bitten by a shark or something. God, there are, there are some in this audience. You want to take them to a different place. Oh, it may not be very far. It may only be across the fence in their backyard. 
but you want to take them to a different place, and it's a difficult task. They see it in this way. And when we, when we talk about Nineveh a little bit more, a little bit later, uh, we may not want to go to that Nineveh. But would you help us to understand, since we've read the last of the story and know the way this all comes out, that it's important for us to do what you have said. Lord, would you help First Baptist to be that kind of church? Would you help the people who make up First Baptist to be that kind of people? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you may want to come and talk with me if you are really struggling with being a Jonah and running away. Then come and see me. If there are a bunch of you that come, I'll get others to help me and we'll help you deal with that. You may want to approach me. You're not really like Jonah trying to run away, and that's okay. I want to chat with you too. Please feel free to approach me before you leave. Now, most of you, we hope, are going to leave and go downstairs to the business meeting. Um, If you can do that, please do that, because that will be helpful for some of the things that are upcoming. It'll keep you informed. Others of you, you're going to go to the rest of the day, and, and that's okay. Please do that. I know you can't watch the... Cubbies beat the Cardinals again today. Got to wait until tomorrow for that. But uh, I know those of you who are Cardinal fans say it's not going to be that way. If the Cubs can get Carpenter out in the first inning, they're in pretty good stead. But that, that guy, that, he, and he doesn't only kill the Cubs, he kills everybody. I think he may be the most valuable player on that team, whether they know it or not. Anyway, that's a, you didn't come to hear me talk about that. I could talk about that all day too. You go and have a great week. God bless you and stand firm, please.